Well, good morning, EBC. How you guys doing? Can you relate at all? Can anybody relate to that? I don't need anything else except this or, or this or maybe this. That's kind of how I feel whenever I get on Amazon. Does anybody else feel that way? They've, like, they've figured out what I want, you know, and then they, they kind of suggest things and free shipping. Well, I'll, I'll get that too. Or maybe whenever I go into Sam's Club or Costco and I go in with the idea of just getting just maybe a few things and does anybody else have a problem with this? And I come out and I'm like, what just happened? What happened? And then I have to explain to Hope why we needed three gallons of mayonnaise, you know? <laughs> And that we've got to figure out how to use all that. And uh, by the way, Hope and I, just a little while back, we went and celebrated our 25-year wedding anniversary in Hawaii and had a great time there. But you should know this. Those of you that know me, you know this about me. I can be called a little bit tight, okay? And, uh, and so while we were on the island of Kauai, the very last day or second to the last day, we discovered a Costco was on the island. We didn't know this. Okay, now uh, again, I can be a little tight, and I found out the Costco's new. Randy didn't tell me, he didn't know about it. And, uh, and so the, the very last day, by the way, the staff calls me Pastor Squeaks because I squeak whenever I walk because I'm tight. And then when they start talking about spending money, these veins pop out. This is Bert, this is Ernie, and uh, they've named them. And, uh, but, but anyhow, so the very last day, I mean, the money, the money to spend on food, I was just, it was starting to get to me. And so the very last day, we went to Costco, and we had free samples at Costco that day, and $1.50 hot dogs, nothing says romance, and 25 years like that, amen, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's how we roll, and uh, Hope was excited about that, but, but seriously, we can, we can always feel like maybe the next thing that we're going to get is going to satisfy this thirst that we have within us. We all kind of have this appetite, let's be honest, we have an appetite for more, I do. I mean, I'll acknowledge it. I struggle whenever I go in those places and I see all the different things that they're so good at marketing, right? We need more or we feel like we need newer things or, or better things and that appetite that we struggle with. I mean, that the whole advertising and marketing industry hinges on this appetite. It hinges upon this craving that we have for more or newer, or better, or mass quantities, right? It's just kind of ingrained within our culture. But what God has to say about our possessions and what he has to say about money is so really radically different than, than the way our culture is. God will say things that almost sound like a foreign language to us. In our culture, I kind of heard this growing up, and so this isn't new to me. It's get all you can, can all you get, and do you know the rest? And sit on the can, right? You keep it all to yourself. Get as much as you can, sit on the can, kind of hoard it to yourself, and, and, you know, and keep it for yourself. And that's kind of the mentality that many of us grow up, and we're saturated with that mentality where God says something radically different. It sounds, I mean, when we hear the things that God says about possessions and money, it's so incredibly different. God will tell us things like, be content with what you have. He will talk about living with open hands rather than with tight, you know, clenched fist on the things that we possess. He'll talk about, uh, about being generous with others and loving others and, and being a blessing to others and it, that it's not just about you. And it's, it's so incredibly different than the way our culture says we should be regarding our possessions. 
We're in this series called Things I Wish I'd Known. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Timothy. We've been looking at these two letters that Paul wrote to Timothy. And Paul is pouring into Timothy's life, trying to prevent him from making huge mistakes in his life. Timothy is a young man. And he is a young pastor that's leading a church that Paul planted. And he's trying to help Timothy uh, lead these people. He's correcting some false teachings that had even come into the church of Ephesus there. And Paul is going to address these things. And he's trying to help Timothy out and prevent him from, from messing up in some areas that so easily can trip all of us up. I mean, there's so many things that are so relevant to us today that we've talked about through the summer months uh, that, that are in these two great books. And when it comes to the area of money and possessions, we all can relate to this because we all have it and we all have to deal with it and we all have to have a relationship with it in some kind of way. But we live in a culture that often promotes this, that enough is never enough. That enough is not enough. And, and every week we're exposed to thousands of commercials that tell us that. That whatever the next product is, that it might satisfy that thirst that you have. Uh, or, or, you know, we're bombarded with images and statements reminding us of the things that we don't have. And, and maybe that will satisfy your soul. And maybe it'll, you know, it'll finally make you feel fulfilled in your life if you have our product. Or, or every time I watch a ball game with those advertisements, I mean, there are times that I, I start thinking about the things that I don't have. Or maybe I walk into one of those mega warehouses where it's just an abundance of things and lots of great things, nice things, things that, 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 that I would like to have and mass quantities of those things. Or, or maybe one of my friends, if you struggle like me, maybe one of my friends gets something new. A few years back, I had an older iPhone, all right, and Pastor Randy just got a brand new one, and he comes in, and he knew that he was going to get me, and so he sets that one down on my desk, kind of taunting me just a little bit, and I remember thinking, man, this iPhone I have is a piece of junk, right? And all of a sudden, I wasn't satisfied with what I had. Or maybe you have a friend that gets a new house, and you go over, and you've been fine with your house until you go over and you see something new, and you're right, and you leave thinking, man, we need to do this to our house, or we need to upgrade this, or maybe we need a new house. Or you get in a, a friend that has a new car, and we all love the new car smell, right? It's like, it just, it smells clean, it smells good, and then you go and you get in your car, and it smells like petrified french fries and kids' feet, right? <laughs> and you're like, man, I need something new. I'm going to need this something new, and this discontentment easily can creep into our lives. Man, it's so sneaky. It's so subtle, isn't it? I mean, I'll be honest with you. How many of you, just be honest, you'd say, I kind of struggle with that. Lift your hands up. I, I do. I'm acknowledging it. I can get discontented really easy. Or you go and you watch, you know, something at their house, and they've got the 72-inch HD, and, and, and it's curved, and all the bells and whistles, and there have been times where I've gone back, and I'm like, man, I'm going back to my, and this is funny to even say, my 50-inch plasma, you know, and, and, and back then, that was great, right? And it's like, and you just, this discontentment can easily creep into our lives, and no self-respecting cowboy fan can watch the Dallas Cowboys on that 50-inch plasma, I mean, that's un-American, and they're America's team. Honey, we need a new TV. I mean, that's how I start working it, or I very easily can. And, 
And so this is something that creeps in our life. And Paul in, the, in this book of 1 Timothy is going to address this issue. In chapter 6, look with me there, and we're gonna, we're gonna, he's going to press into this consumer mindset and challenge this. Before, if you're taking notes, write this down, because here's what Paul would say directly. He would say, beware of being deceived by your discontentment. Write that down. Beware of being deceived by your discontentment. I think we have that on the screen. Do we have that? Beware of being deceived of your discontentment. When this appetite for more is left unchecked, it can lead us down a path of trouble. We'll read about it. It'll lead you into struggles within your marriage. If one is discontent, or maybe you're both discontent, it can, it can cause unfulfillment. It can, it can promote uh, dissatisfaction in your life if you battle with this, and, and you would think that whatever the newest or the best is, you would think that once you obtain that, you would finally be satisfied. But, but then as soon as you get it, maybe it starts wearing out after a little while, or you notice that someone else has the newest, and you don't have that, and that discontentment creeps in. And Paul says, beware of this. And what we often will end up living with is this major thing called regret. And regret will, will, will kind of creep into our life because what we will do is we will sacrifice in areas. We will go in enormous amounts of debt seeking to satisfy this craving in our life. And then, as the scripture says, that the, that the lender, or, or the, excuse me, the borrower becomes slave to the lender, we become trapped. And then God would lead us to do some things, but we've tied our own hands we're, we, because of our discontentment. We're bound. We're trapped. God might lead us to give to somebody. God might lead us to be generous to a mission that we feel compelled and passionate about. God might lead us to invest in someone who's struggling, but oftentimes we tie our own hands. God might lead us to be generous, but we, our discontentment has deceived us in so many different ways. And in 1 Timothy chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is going to talk to Timothy about this. He's going to say, Timothy, you're a young leader, and you're leading a group of people, and some of them have money. Now, here is the other thing that he's going to say to them. There were leaders in their church that were manipulating people and using the gospel for, for getting wealthy. And they were deceptive, and they were being liars. And not unlike what we've seen today, one of the greatest reasons that people don't want to be a part of a church is they feel like all pastors want, all preachers want, is our money. And in some cases, that has been absolutely true. And so people just write it all off and say, well, that must be how everyone is. And Paul is going to confront this. Paul is going to say, Timothy, don't be like that. Timothy, that's not why you're doing this. You're not to be a greedy preacher. You're not to be a greedy church leader. But this wasn't only for church leaders. This is for all of us. Because greed can creep into all of our lives. Greed is something that is so dangerous and it's so prevalent in our culture because discontentment can be something that is, that is very much a part of our life. And so in chapter 6, verse 5, this is what he's going to say about those preachers or those, those church leaders who are greedy. He's going to say this. These people always cause trouble. Their minds are, what does it say, church? Corrupt. And they have turned their backs on the truth. To them... A show of godliness. So it is, it is a show. It is not 
it is not genuine. They are disingenuous. They are fakers. They, are, they use the gospel for their financial means. And he's saying this. He says that a show of godliness to them is just a way to become wealthy. Yet true godliness, he says, with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, he says, we brought nothing with us when we come into the world, and we, can take, we can't take anything with us when we leave it. Now he's going to begin to talk about contentment. So if we have enough food and clothing, by the way, remember Paul was imprisoned. Paul at one time had much, and he said, I've learned to be content with much. Paul also went to a time where he had nothing, and he said, I've learned to be content with nothing. Paul understood contentment. If we have enough food and clothing, say it with me, church. What does he tell us to do? Let us be what? Content. He says, let us be content. But people, this isn't just only those church leaders, but people in general who long to be rich, he says, fall into temptation. And they are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, the love of money, many of you know this verse, don't you, is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and have pierced themselves, he says, with what? Many sorrows. Did you see that they've pierced themselves? They've done it to themselves. This love of money. Now, this, this part of this verse, notice he doesn't say that, that money has done this. He says the love of money is the root. The love of money is the source of this, right? It leads to all kinds of evil decisions. It leads to all kinds of sin. Not the money, but the, the attitude or the affection for money. The way that we view our possessions, the appetite left unchecked, the appetite for more of it is a dangerous trap, is what Paul would tell Timothy. And he's giving a stern warning about managing our affections and managing our appetite that we have. This, this flesh desires and craves more, and he's going to say, you've got to manage that. You're not going to be able to get rid of it in this flesh, but you can manage this. I love M&Ms, okay? And uh, I, I, I love chocolate. Does anybody else? Do you relate? Okay, I love chocolate. Now, my wife is a teacher, and one of the benefits that, uh, that Hope gets in being a teacher is this. Uh, she doesn't only get the summers out, but she also, at the end, before the summer, is showered, many of you teachers know this, showered with gifts from the children in her class they rain these gifts down upon her and give her all the, and most of these gifts, I'm just saying, are of the sweet nature. Okay, so she comes home with baskets full of candy, baskets full of goodies, and I, I said that she was in the first service, I'm just going to say it again. She said, thanks for revealing this, but this is true. She is a hoarder, okay? All right, so she gets her candy, and she doesn't want to share and so she hides it all over that. She said, thanks for saying that. Now the kids are going to be looking everywhere now, okay? She hides it all over the house. And well, the other day, I found a bag of M&Ms that had been stashed away. She's like, and, and my favorite are the peanut M&Ms. And, and she's like a squirrel that's hoarding for the winter, okay? And hiding them away. She puts them, who, who among you does that? I want to know. Raise your hands. Next week's message is on hoarding. I'm just letting you know, okay? All right? But thanks for being honest. And, but let me just ask you this, all right? 
who among us can eat just one M&M? Can you? One guy raised his hand in the last service. I called him a liar. Straight up, I said, you are lying, sir. I mean, all one M&M really does is just, what does it do? Man, it just makes you a little bit mad, doesn't it, right there? Kind of gets your appetite going just a little bit. You can't have, and so I thought when I found the bag, by the way, it was already opened. I'm like, I'm in there. I can just kind of take a little bit. She'll never know. One M&M led to the bag. <laughs> Pretty much did. There were only like a few left, and I was like, well, maybe she won't know. She noticed, okay? She noticed. But, but the reality is, is that's what our appetites are like. When, when our appetites are awakened to something, they can be difficult to, to manage, right? And this mentality can, can take over in our lives in the relationship with money and with the stuff that money will buy, and we'll think this one thing will satisfy me, right? It will satisfy. Once you get that next thing, you'll be fine. You won't need anything else. And it might for a little bit satisfy you. You might feel a little bit of a, of a release, right? You've got that and you feel good about it. But, but then the next thing you know, you're craving again and you need something else to satisfy you. And this is how discontentment, it can lead us down this trail of, of truly destruction is what Paul would talk about if we don't learn to manage the appetite. If we don't learn to, to get this under control with God's help in, in our lives. And so we will try to satisfy and all of us have this craving for more. We all have a craving for something to satisfy our soul. So we will look for things that are temporary to satisfy our soul, which is eternal. Some of us will try this with money and possessions. Some of us will try this with food. Some of us will try this with alcohol or with drugs or with sex or whatever it may be. We're all looking to quench what thirst is or that longing or that void within our hearts and and so and so we will try this over and Paul says this appetite is alive and well within your life and if you don't manage it if you're taking notes write this down discontentment leads us to distraction at best and it can lead to destruction in your life at worst Distraction at best, that's best case scenario, but it can lead to destruction in your life. It can lead to destruction. We'll talk about that in a second, but let's talk about it best. At best, what I mean is that as a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, if you become consumed with things and you become consumed with money and more money and, and just it's all you ever think about, what's going to happen is you're going to take your eye off the ball of following Jesus and you're going to follow stuff and pursuits of stuff, and you're going you're gonna to care more about that, and you'll compromise even in your relationship with Christ, where it's, it's your obsession. It can even become an idol in your life, and it will distract you. And rather than living a life that, that's pleasing to God and investing in things that maybe is going to change lives for eternity, or investing in, uh, you know, in, in people or things that will last, like we even talked about what Bryn's doing is something that's going to be eternal. As she's going to Japan, and many of you are investing Investing in her financially and prayer and all of this, those are things that last. But if you love money, you're going to struggle with that. You're going to struggle wanting to be a part of something like that because you're going to want to hold on to what you have to satisfy yourself above everything else. And so you take your eye off the ball, we easily get deceived by our discontentment. 
Uh, it's like taking our kids to Chuck E. Cheese, all right? Just parents, you can be real, all right? How many of you would be honest and you'd say, you hate Chuck E. Cheese? Be, okay, I knew a lot of hands would go up, okay? Don't let the children know. What we do for our children, we really don't, honey. Uh, we, okay, but uh, she's going, you hate Chuck E. Um, but anyhow, so I would take my son, Luke, to Chuck E. Cheese. And we would go, and many of you know what goes on there uh, at Chuck E. Cheese. We would get into the games. Luke really loved the games where you get the tickets, right? You get the tickets that you collect and that you go to the little store once you get enough tickets. And what do you do? You You buy treasures, do you not? I mean treasures which are invaluable, right? It's like it's kind of like the more I thought of it, it's kind of like we're conditioning them a little bit for Vegas in this, just thinking, okay? And I told Luke, Luke, what's, what happens at Chucky stays at Chucky, okay? Just letting you know. And Luke, when he was little, would take some of his hard-earned money. I'd give him a little bit of money for some of the tickets, all right? When he was younger, we, we didn't have as much then, so I'd give him a little, but he would also get an allowance, and we would go to Chuck E. Cheese, and Luke would take the hard-earned money that he had done from doing backyard doggy duty duty. Y'all know what that is, or, or uh, taking out the trash, or, and he would spend everything on those games to win these tickets. And, I, and we're familiar with the games, right? You'd spend maybe 30 bucks to win like 150 tickets and it would get, and you'd get the 150 tickets and you'd think, what? I'm rich, right? I'm rich. And then it would be, you get there and, and what do you get? Like a, a shiny pencil or a or a whoopee cushion, a cushion, which that is quite valuable, all right, and you can have fun with that, or a yo-yo that breaks in five minutes. And one time, Luke and I hit the jackpot, and we got a machine that there was something wrong with it, and so every time we put something in, it was spewing out hundreds of tickets. We didn't tell anybody, okay? We just thought this was how it goes. We hit the jackpot. Luke is laughing hysterically because we have thought we are sticking it to Chucky, is what we thought at that moment. And we got there with like 5,000 tickets, and I thought, we're getting an Xbox, man. I think we got like a plastic ukulele that Luke broke on the way out to the car. And he was so mad, and I was in the car with him, and and I was like, Luke, man, I'm just going to tell you, okay? I don't mean to ruin your Chucky experience, but here's the deal. You're getting suckered. Uh, You're getting suckered, son. Chucky is nothing but a dirty rat. I'm just letting you know. He's a dirty rat, and Luke's like, he is a dirty rat. My ukulele broke, you know? And, 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 you know, you get these things, you spend all your money on them. They don't last. They wear out. And I know you're excited at first. And, and Luke, you got to, man, you got to stop being a sucker. You're kind of getting suckered in this. And, and as parents, we often look at our kids and we're like, man, you're getting suckered in there. I can't believe you get so excited about things that won't last. And things that are worthless, and they wear out, and you get tired of them so quickly. Stop being a sucker, right? Is the kind of the way we think, and God is like this with us. God is like, son, daughter, why do you get so excited about these things that won't last? And you invest so much in them, and you think you're rich, and they're not making you rich. That's not what makes you rich in this life. And in a way, God's saying, stop being a sucker. You've fallen for it. I have too. 
I've been suckered far too many times. You're falling into the trap of discontentment. So at best, we live with this deception, investing in things that won't won't matter or things that, you know, and and then we do and we're left thirsting for more and, and we try to satisfy it with more. I don't need more. And then it's like, no, I need that. I need that. And we end up kind of being like a jerk, right? I mean, that's what happens to so many of us. And pretty soon we become disillusioned. We get disillusioned because even after the latest gadget or even after the raise that you've been wanting for so long at, at your job and you've worked hard for, right? And then if, if I finally, if I have this much, that's the line. And then you get a raise, right? And then what happens with the line? Does anybody else do this? The line goes over here and, and we're chasing the line. We're chasing the line of happiness. We're trying to satisfy our souls. We need another fix. We need something to fix it within us. And so we think it's things or the next thing or a new job or more money or something. And don't get me wrong. There's nothing. We're going to, I'm going to hit on this in a second. There's nothing wrong with having another job or having more money. Or We're going to talk about this for just a few seconds. But, but when we start trying to satisfy the thirst that we all have with the stuff you're going to be discontent. You're not going to fix it in your life. And so then we become disillusioned and distracted. Now at worst, not only can we become distracted, but at worst we can bring destruction in our lives is what the Bible says. What did he say? He said, and some people craving, that's that hunger, that thirst, craving money, they think that that's going to do it have wandered from the true faith. They've compromised their walk with God. They've wandered from the true faith. They have pierced themselves. They did it to themselves, he says, with many sorrows. Many sorrows. We can treasure our money above even our relationship with God. Jesus said you can't love both God and money. He said, it it, it doesn't work. You will love one and hate the other, he says. You can't worship both God and money. But many will follow money above God. Many of us, we will sacrifice our marriages for money. Many of us will sacrifice our kids for more money. Many of us will sacrifice our integrity. We will sacrifice our reputation We'll sacrifice opportunities to serve other people. We will risk losing what's most important because of a love for money. And God says, Timothy, it's a trap. He said, Timothy, it's a trap. Be careful with that appetite for more. It's deceptive. Many are falling prey to it. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation. People who long to be rich, they become trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. But I know what you're thinking, and I think it too, but we got to have money, right? I mean, we need it in our, in our society. We have to have it to, to buy things that we need. And, and so is there anything that's wrong with money? And Paul's not saying that there is anything wrong with money. He's saying have a right relationship with it. What's your relationship with your possessions? What's your relationship with the money that's in your life? How do you rightly relate to it? What does it look like? Well, Paul, just quickly, let me give them to you quickly because we're out of time. Paul would say this biblically, and these are biblical things. Money is not inherently wrong or evil. It's not wrong to have things. 
It's not wrong to have a good job. It's not wrong to, to, to have possessions or money. There's nothing wrong with having nice things in life. In fact, he would say God gives us those things to enjoy in many cases in our life. There's many passages that attest how God loves to bless his children. He loves to entrust you with more. He loves to bless you with more. Look, Proverbs 8, those who love me inherit wealth. I will fill their treasuries, he says. David had wealth, was a man after God's own heart. Solomon had wealth. Uh, Abraham had wealth. Job had wealth. Are, are you catching my drift here? Here's the deal. There's nothing wrong with having wealth. There's nothing wrong. We shouldn't look at those who have wealth in a negative sense. What we should understand is that when God blesses us with wealth, there's great responsibility, though, that comes with it. Amen, right? To whom much has been given, much is required, Jesus would say. When you have it, there's responsibility. It's not wrong to have it. It's not evil in and of itself. It can be the love of it becomes the root of evil. Realize, number two, that God is the source of your blessing. If you've been blessed, and many of you have been blessed, God is the source of it. We're not to try to imagine that we're the sole reason we have it if we do. In Deuteronomy 8, God is, has, is bringing the nation of Israel out of very lean times. And they are going to go through the wilderness, and he's going to teach them to depend upon him. They had nothing, but God was about to lead them into the promised land where they would be wealthy. Look at what he says to them in Deuteronomy 8. When you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. But that is the time to be, when you have much, to be what? Careful. Beware that in your plenty you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, his regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. For when you have become, and so it's going to happen for them, when you've become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and your gold have multiplied along with everything else, he doesn't say all of that is bad, but what does he say? What does it say next? Be careful. Be careful. He says, be careful. Do not become proud at that time. And forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Don't forget that God did a work in your life. That's what he says. He humbled them and he broke them to remind them. He did all this so that you and I would never say to ourselves, look at what he says, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. Put God first, even in your finances. Put God first in your relationship with your possessions. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. So we don't get prideful. Number three, don't show favoritism to those who have money. Don't show favoritism. James warns us of this. It started happening in the church. Suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry. By the way, those people need Jesus too. All right? And he says, suppose that happens. And another comes in who is poor. By the way, they need Jesus too. Amen, right? We all need Jesus. But you've got those different kinds of people. And one is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you stand over there or else sit on the floor 
Well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? And what is that evil motive? Your love of money. You love money above people. And so you cater to people who have it. So don't become a favorite person that plays favorites. Don't become, number four, prideful because of your money. Uh, we we kind of covered that a little bit. But teach those, he says, who are rich in this world not to be proud. You can become arrogant. You can flaunt it. And he says there's arrogance in that. Don't be proud. Number five, don't put your trust in it. The stock market could crash tomorrow. We don't want it to, but it happens, does it not? And so if you put all of your trust in this, look what he says, that is so unreliable. Don't be proud. Don't teach them not to trust in their money. It's unreliable, he says. Their trust instead should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. So there's all these attitudes, all right, that hinge upon this last one right here. Don't fall in love with it. Because when you fall in love with it, all these other things, if you, if you don't fall in love with money, you won't struggle with the things that I just mentioned. But if you're in love with money, you're going to show, you may be prone to favoritism. You're going to become proud. I mean, all these, you start thinking you, he's just saying, don't fall in love with money. Timothy, fall in love with God. Fall in love with God. The love of money, he says, is the root of all kinds, the source of all kinds of evil. People who love money. This is axiomatic throughout this entire last chapter. People who love money uh, will do anything to get it. They'll take bribes. They'll distort justice. They will manipulate. They will lie. They will cheat. They'll cheat on their taxes. They'll, they'll extort. They'll deceive. They'll rob. They'll commit adultery and fornication if they might get some more. If they think it will gain them, they will hurt others. They will destroy their marriages. All of these evil things are the fruit that come from the root of a love of money. And he says, if you can get a hold of this one area, you don't have to worry about these other things. If you won't love it, these evil things are all derived from the dangerous root of discontentment. So what is the alternative? Paul's going to give us an alternative, a countercultural way to live that's much more fulfilling, that will satisfy our soul. He says, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we can't take anything with us when we leave it. You've heard it a million times. You're not going to have a... U-Haul attached to the hearse that's carrying you. It stays. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. So what does Paul say? Be content with what you have. Be content. As long as we have the basics, he says, what we truly only need, then be content. Be content with much. He said, I've learned to be content with much, and I've also learned to be content with, li with little. This trap of consumption, this appetite for more is dangerous. It sounds easy when we read this. Be content. Amen. Let's go. And you're like, what? I mean, there's got to be more to this, right? Let, do we just snap our fingers, and because we said it today, you're all of a sudden content? No, it doesn't happen like that. What Paul is going to say is that you've got to shift your focus from the temporal to the eternal. 
Take your eyes off of the temporal and, and focus. How do you begin to manage this appetite? Should we just act like we don't like new things or want new? No, he's, say, he's not saying be a fake. He's just saying realize what you're investing in. Ask yourself, is, does this really matter? Is it really going to matter? So here's the final thing right here. We redirect our focus from the present to the eternal. Look at what he says. But you, Timothy... You, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Here's where the shift begins to happen. Instead of pursuing things to satisfy your soul, pursue righteousness and a godly life. That's being like Jesus. Along with faith and love and perseverance and gentleness. He says, stop trying to find it in money. Stop trying to find this answer that you're looking for in your life and stuff. You'll never be satisfied. You're only going to find it in a rich relationship with God. That's what he's saying. You're going to find it. Fight the good fight for the true faith. It's going to be a dogfight because you're going to have a lot of things pulling at you. Hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you. Instead of holding tightly to stuff, he says, hold tightly to Jesus. Hold tight to him, right? Live for these things like generosity and love and peace and forgiveness and patience and joy. That describes Jesus. So how does it relate to our money? What Paul is going to talk about in the rest of the chapter is what your life will look like when you have figured this out. When we choose to take that desire and appetite for more, and instead of investing it only in ourselves, but instead investing it in that which is eternal, he said you're going to begin to find a satisfaction in your soul. Generosity is the antidote to greed. Learning to be generous, learning to live with open hands. I'm going to read you this scripture, and then I want to pray with you, okay? He says this, and we'll look more next week at this. Teach those So we need to learn it. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good, not just for ourselves. They should be rich in good works and generous To those in need, open hands is what he's saying. Always being ready to share with others. And look, here's the result. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future. And then the last part translates like this, truly, so that they may experience true life. What he says is so that they may live life in the fullest. The life that's truly life is how that translates. When you live with open hands, when you're generous, there's nothing wrong with being blessed. But we say this all the time. God has blessed us to be what, church? A blessing. Let's pray together. Maybe for you, you've been trying to find your satisfaction in things or maybe money or stuff. Or maybe it's been in something else that you've been pursuing Maybe it's been in food and you think that will satisfy you. Maybe it's been in alcohol. You think that will satisfy you. And what he's saying is those things are going to leave you empty. Jesus said, I will satisfy your thirst. 
So many times in the Bible, Jesus said, come to me if you're thirsty, and I will give you a drink that will be eternal. He's the, he's the one where rivers eternal flow from. Rivers that he saturates our soul with and he fills us up. Is your soul this morning discontent? Have you been trying to satisfy it with things that won't last? God says this morning, come to me. He wants to give you meaning and purpose. He says to pursue him right now as you come to him, he wants to flood your soul with peace. Maybe you've never come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Right now, you can call upon Jesus to come into your life and to satisfy you. Say, Jesus, I've been chasing all these other things my entire life. Today, I realize what I need more than anything is a relationship with you. Will you be my Savior, Jesus? Forgive me of my sin. Will you begin to teach me what it means to, to manage this discontentment I live with? Will you begin to replace that with satisfaction in you? Replace it with peace. Thank you, Jesus, for being my Savior. Maybe you're already a believer, but you've been deceived by discontentment. And you just might need to confess that to the Lord today and say, Lord, would you make you in my life the number one affection of my heart? And I'm sorry, Lord, if I put other things ahead of you. I want to pursue you above all else. Would you give me that rich and meaningful life in Jesus? That's what I want, Lord, more than anything. Thank you, Jesus, for being so generous with us. Would you teach us to be more like you? And it's in your name that I pray. And all God's people say.